grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today I'll be sharing some reflections on my trip up to Wisconsin. I was able to attend the men's retreat, which was in Prairie Duchene, Wisconsin. Beautiful setting, and there was a lot of men there. I'm going to share some reflections. The theme for our retreat was Isaiah 43. But now thus says the Lord, he who formed you, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Does God take risks? Not all risks are foolish. Some are. It would have been foolish for Jesus to go along with the devil's risks when he asked him to jump off the temple so that the angels would come and sweep him up and rescue him. That would have been a foolish risk because it would have been tempting the Lord our God. But on the other hand, there are other risks which are actually fulfilling God's purpose for us in our lives. What we're talking about today is weighing the risk against the reward. Is it worth it? What is the cost? There is a story of Pete Carroll, the football coach for the Seattle Seahawks, when he went to Super Bowl 49, having to take a risk. They were on the one-yard line. And there was less than a minute left. If they put it in the end zone, they're virtually guaranteed to win. And if not, they lose. Throughout the whole game and throughout the whole season, they've seen the success of their running back, Marshawn Lynch, how he had gained the most touchdowns in the red zone of any running back in the NFL, and there they were on the one-yard line. It would only make sense to give it to him, the beast they called him, to pound it in for the touchdown. But that's not what Pete Carroll did. Instead, he made a different decision to throw it. And this story lives on even decades later, where we're still talking about Pete Carroll's decision at the one-yard line to throw the ball, and it got intercepted. They lost. Pete Carroll took a risk. He thought about the risk, thought about the reward, and decided to take a chance and throw it to catch their opponents off guard. Now, I can relate to Super Bowl losses because I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan. And we've made it to four Super Bowls and lost them all. Our coach at the time that took us to those four Super Bowls was Bud Grant. And Bud Grant would talk about those losses when people would ask him, well, what did you do after losing your fourth Super Bowl? He'd say, I went home, my wife cooked me dinner, I ate, and I went to bed. He said, well, what would you have done if you had won? He said, I would have gone home, had dinner, and gone to bed. Because Bud Grant would say, it's just a game. 
There are bigger risks at stake. Even though we think that sports and getting trophies and winning Super Bowls would be a huge risk that Pete Carroll would take, and how could he ever out, how could he ever live on after such a blunder? If Bud Grant had let the fear of losing define him, do you think he would have even made it to those four Super Bowls? Isaiah 43 talks about a bigger fear, a bigger risk. When God says, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. What are the fears that are defining you? What are the losses that you remember that you can't seem to get over? You want to talk about fear, get 70 men together and tell them to talk about their fears. Just try to get them to talk in the first place is enough to scare us because talking in general, is, especially for men, is not something we like to do. Not for the most part. There's a lot of risk there. We talked about addictions. We talked about pornography. We talked about alcoholism. We talked about shame. We talked about failure. One of our speakers talked about a time he was at his high school basketball team and they made it to the state finals. And there was a technical foul that put him on the free throw line with a chance to win the game if he made both the free throws, and he missed them. How do you get over a loss like that? Well, the first point is to realize what really defines you in this passage. Your identity is not what you do, it's where you're from. We're so interested in what people do. When we meet somebody for the first time, the first common question we ask them is, what do you do? And maybe later on we get to, where are you from? Well, in the Bible, it's more about where you're from. Not just geographically, but who your family is. What your genealogy is. How many genealogies are there in the Bible? And now God says, Fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. That you are not defined by failures and successes. You are not defined by shame. But you are defined by redemption. By belonging to God's family. Now think of the risk that God is taking in saying this. Does God take risks? Yes. First of all, he created you. That was a risk. To create Adam and Eve and put them in charge of this world, God knew the risk he was taking. He knew he was giving them the responsibility to make the right choice. And they did. Big risk. Then he preserves them despite their failure he forgives them, and he preserves the world. He keeps it, bringing his goodness and his hope and his promises continually to generations after generations. And what happens? They rebel again, and he has to send a flood to cleanse the world. 
But God keeps on taking risks. In Egypt, in the Exodus, in the wilderness, and the journey to the promised land, he keeps on taking risks throughout the Old Testament. And the greatest risk comes when Jesus arrives. Jesus tells a parable to describe this risk. It's the parable of the vineyard in Matthew chapter 21, where there's an owner of a vineyard who entrusts the vineyard to tenant farmers, stewards of his vineyard. He says to them, take care of my vineyard while I'm away. He prepares the vineyard so it's bound to bring forth fruit. And then he goes away on a trip. When the time comes for the harvest, he sends his servants, one after the other, to see what fruit they can bring back. He sends his servants, he sends another, and they treat them shamefully, they beat them, and they kill them. So then he says, I will send my son. Surely they will respect my son. He sends his son to collect the harvest, and they say, this is the heir. This is the one. If we kill him, the vineyard will be ours. Well, this is foolish thinking. But God was willing to take that risk to send his own son into our world, knowing that the world would treat him shamefully. Why does God keep taking risks? It's because he knows the reward. Hebrews 12 says that for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross and the shame so that he could sit down at the right hand of God. Because of the joy that was set before him, he knew the reward. And the reward would be that not all would reject him. The reward would be knowing that you are here today in church and you are not defined even by your sins against Jesus himself. He redeems you because he knows that it's all worth it. And that's the nature of the gospel, to bring you into a risky business with God, the business of faith, the business of trusting, because faith is a huge risk. When Jesus talks to the man in Mark chapter 10 about inheriting eternal life, the man is imagining what needs to be done so he can get that inheritance. And Jesus has to remind him, there is only one goodness in this world, and it's God himself. One thing he still lacks. He tells him to go and sell all that he has and give it to the poor, and he will have treasure in heaven. There's a risk there. It's not just about what this man can do, but what this man can give up. The risk of giving up what he's clinging to in his greed, his own possessions. One thing he still lacked, and the man went away sorrowful. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for us to really trust God with all of our heart. But God takes the risk. He calls you to discipleship. And there's a great cost. It's scary. It's scary to let go of these false notions of who we are and what defines us. 
It's scary to let go of the ideas that our possessions or our looks or our accomplishments are what make us valuable. It's scary to be honest, to be vulnerable, to repent, to be held accountable. At our men's retreat, we talked about this. The number one takeaway for me was not how to overcome addictions, but how to make friendships. Because in each one of these situations, the thing we kept coming back to was having friends you can trust in, friends you can confide in. And there were so many men in the small groups that could not name one person that they could really trust with all of their secrets. That was the challenge when they left the retreat, was can you find that one other man who you can trust with your secrets, your sins, your fears. Because it wasn't about a fight against addiction. It was about hope that we find in our fellowship with God and with each other. And so Jesus says that he who has left behind brothers and sisters and houses and family for my sake, for the friendship of the gospel, will receive a treasure far better. That on the other side of that moment of fear where we confess the sins that we have really committed, where we talk about the fears that are holding us back, on the other side of that is a whole other world of wonder that we just haven't seen yet. And that's why Isaiah has to say it this way. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. God is taking us back to the risk he took when he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he brought them through the waters. When they were trapped between the Egyptians on one side and the drowning in the water on the other side, it would seem there was no way out. But God said, stand fast and you will see the salvation of the Lord. So when they finally got to the promised land, how could they have forgotten that? When they saw the size of the peoples ahead of them, how could they forget the size of God? God is bigger than we could ever imagine. And one of the speakers at our conference was reminded of a chapel by Professor Keeney, which said, don't make God too small. Caleb and Joshua were the ones who show us how big God is. Caleb was the one who said, we should go now. He was ready to go right away despite all the warnings that the other people gave. When you trust God in the sea, in the fire, in the trial, he's never going to let you down. And the rewards are immeasurable. Bearing the cross, bearing the pain, repenting, 
trusting. The rewards of all of this far outweigh the trouble that we're worried about. Let God be God. Don't put him in a box. Fear not. He has redeemed you. He has called you by name. You are his. Amen.